Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 25. Is it time to rebrand? We're having quite a few conversations about branding at the moment. We're getting lots of positive feedback about that topic in particular. Uh, And Jackie Glass, you may remember, appeared on another previous episode. She was wonderful. So I asked her to come back and talk about rebuilding her image because she had to do that recently. Uh, She found herself at a crossroads at a transition time where she was well known for a particular look and a style and felt it was time to evolve that look and style. And some of what she went through, I think, is going to be really helpful to all of us as we listen in. Now, you probably already know this because I've talked about it previously, but we hired uh, Bruce and Lyndon uh, from Heuristic to rebrand the Business of Design website. Those of you who have been members a long, long time, thank you, first of all. Wow. You have no idea how much your support means to me personally and to all of us at Business of Design. It really matters that you were the first adopters and you jumped on board. And some of you have been with us since the beginning and we are forever grateful. But you remember what our initial brand looked like and how that compares to the brand that we have today. It's a very big difference. And I was really happy we decided to hire expert help. And of course, that led to having both both Bruce Philp and Lyndon Corbett on episodes on the podcast. So listen for those names. And I decided that that exercise in rebranding business of design was so valuable. Why don't I rebrand Kimberly Selden Design Group? Now I look at my current brand for Kimberly Selden Design Group, and I don't think it's so bad. Uh, And quite frankly, I might have decided to just stay with it. But I think I've got at least another decade of working with clients ahead. And don't I want to have a current fresh brand and see what an expert would say about my company uh, without all the baggage that I'm going to bring to the table. So I'm really excited about that process so far. We've had one meeting so far, and uh, Bruce has shared his kind of overall strategic vision for the company, and it kind of blew my mind. He's coming back in episode 28, so he'll talk a little bit about that as well at that point. So this is all about the moment where you realize that maybe your website, maybe your brand is not uh, broadcasting your best side to customers who are thinking about hiring you, and it's important that you get that into shape. So I think you're going to love what Jackie has to say. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden, brought to you by Business of Design, a coaching community for independent designers like you. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think you mentioned that we've gotten quite a few new testimonials. Do you have a couple you're going to share with us? Yeah, uh, one in particular. Uh, one of the things I like about my job is that I, I'm usually the first one that gets to see these. So I get to put Kimberly on the spot sometimes by reading some of these, and, and this is one of them. So Karen from Indiana wrote in that Kimberly is not only intelligent, talented and hilarious. She's also incredibly authentic and supportive. She shares her wisdom of experience and how to, and how her mistakes and stress lead to the development of systems. I highly recommend reading her books, becoming a member on the Business of Design website, and hearing her speak whenever and wherever you can. Her insight into Business of Design has been a game changer for me. I am forever grateful. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Hey, Karen in Indiana. Thank you so, so much. It's a bit like being at your funeral and people are saying nice things about you. Is that weird? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember trying to get you to film a video where you had to read some of the testimonials and you, you couldn't get through some of them. So this is an easier way to do it. (laughs) I cry. Yeah. I'm a crier, everybody. I get super sappy and sentimental. There's no question about it. (laughs) Uh, You've got a couple of um, events coming up at the end of September. On the 23rd, you're going to be in Florida for Florida North's annual uh, chapter weekend. And on the 28th, you're going to be speaking at ESA's annual meeting as well. So full details on both of those events are on our website, businessofdesign.com in the events section. Cheryl, you're the best. Thanks for keeping us on track. 
Okay. Talk to you soon. You guys will remember Jackie Glass. She was on episode number 20 and we talked to her previously about working for yourself and designing for yourself and why that's a struggle. And during that podcast, and by the way, hi, Jackie, how are you? Hi, hi, how are you? Good, good. During that podcast, you happened to mention that you rebranded yourself and you almost rebuilt your business after many years of running a very successful design firm. So that's what I want to talk about. You might be one year in the business. You might be 20 years in the business. It is never too late to approach it differently, do better work, and build a better brand. So let's start with what led you to even consider rebranding in the first place. Well, you know, a series of events led me to, to think about the rebrand. And it began with, um, you know, I had a, a business partner and, you know, we were happily in business since 1999. And there was, um, you know, there was a, a time where she was thinking she may want to retire. Uh, and so we, we were making some changes internally. And because I looked at the business and I thought, well, am I ready to retire? She was a little bit older than I was. And I thought, I'm not. It's a viable business. What do I do? And so, so I started to think then, and so that would probably be about five or six years ago and started to think, what do I do? Who am I? And started to look at the clients that I had. And at the same time, I was thinking I wanted to move. My son was growing up. He was in, you know, university. He was getting ready to launch. And, and I was, I was, I just wanted a change in my, in my home. I was bored with it, to be honest. I was bored with where I lived. And so I had to very, you know, through, through both of those, those different uh, series of, of events that were happening, I had to kind of coax my husband, maybe this is a good thing. And he loved where we lived, so that was not going to happen. So it, it sort of just kind of happened that way. So fast forward, we ended up selling the house. My partner retired. I changed the name to Jackie Glass Inc., um, closed down the original company, but same old, you know, but and had new staff. There were, we did a lot of internal changes that, that happened very naturally and, and very happily. But I was suddenly faced with, I'm now running the show and I now have a new home. And I know I'm going to be traveling a bit to, back to my office because it stayed in the same town I was in, which is Oakville. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this? And this house was the complete opposite of the Hampton style home that I was leaving. So I saw mid-century. And on top of that, I looked at my client base. And I thought, well, I've got my tried and true, the clients that have always worked with me that love the Jackie Glass look. But my new house, which I knew was going to be photographed and shown, was very, very different. I thought, well, I'm now going to be attracting different people. So different clients, maybe a younger set, maybe the aging boomer, which I am. And I thought, it's got to be my own, and I said it in the last podcast, but it's, it's got to be my own curation of modernism as Jackie Glass sees it because mo- I'm not a purist when it comes to modern. I knew that. I don't like a coffee table with four oranges lined up on it. Like that's not my, that's not my thing. That's not my jam. I love a stack of books, beautiful piece of, of artwork or sculpture and some flowers on a coffee table. So that wouldn't change, but the type of coffee table would and the lack of trim and the lack of deep because I really, I really explored modernism. And, and tried to then package what I saw as, as how what would, it would appeal to a new market and to the market I already had. It's so easy after the fact for those of us listening to go, wow, so did that take a week? Because it sounds like it's all wrapped up nicely <laughs> in a bow. It's all wrapped up nicely in a bow right now. The fact is, you probably did all this in a non-linear fashion to a degree. And what I want to hear about, yep. and I think what other people want to hear about, is where do you start with that exercise of rebranding? And remember that for some people who are listening, they don't feel that they have a brand yet. So it's the first time. And for other people, they've been doing Mm. it a while and they're thinking, should I really bother? Should I really bother? Mm. What would you say to those two groups of people in terms of where do you start? That's a great question. So where do you start? Well, firstly, I think you should bother and think about your brand. And I think that you and I have talked because we both have had many years that the new designer has to think about their social media platform. They have to think about promoting themselves in a way that we really never had to do. Um, Because for us, it was print, 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 print. And that kind of established us. That's not the case now. So when you're thinking about it, 
it, in my case, it was the house, the mid-century modern that I knew, and I knew the clients wanted modern. I knew my younger clients, every condo I did, it was, I want to have modern. Even my clients that were moving, that were downsizing, that were retiring and downsizing wanted modern. They wanted to get rid of all of their grandma's dining room set. So it could be, in my case, it was my house that I purchased. For a young designer starting out, it could be one particular project that they've really enjoyed, that they really sunk their teeth into, that they said, I really love this, and this is easy, and I've created this wonderful, cool space that could be the beginning of a brand. So it's, in essence, it means looking at every project you have, whether it's your own, whether it's the five clients you have or the three, and maybe thoughtfully picking one of them and saying, this I can repeat, this I can do again. Maybe you do a room in your, in, in your own home and say, this will be that. Maybe I only have a handful of clients, but maybe I'll do some sort of cool room for a kid because I did this really great condo, but I'm going to do a room and I'll just use my own space as, as a place I can shoot and show on Instagram just to build my profile. And that's how it begins. There's really no way to do this without investing a little bit of money then, right? I mean, you've got to hire a photographer who knows what he or she is doing. I actually have come to the conclusion, which is funny after so many years, that in addition to hiring a photographer, I want a professional stylist to be on site with me because it's been years since I worked behind the scenes at the magazine. I've forgotten some of what happens and I think things have changed. And when I did that, when we filmed, uh, we shot something for House and home and they provided me with a stylist and she showed up with a car full of, you know, gigantic artichokes that look spectacular sitting on the counter. Right. And she you knows she right. just she knew exactly what every shot needed, where when I do it myself, I'm busy and I'm distracted. I'm like, okay, you know what you're going to shoot? Great. Let me know if you need anything. I'm just going to be over here answering emails and dealing with clients. And and then the photos would come back and I go, gosh, we really missed an opportunity to do X, Y, or Z. So I think you, you touched on so many good things there in terms of being aware that your brand needs to thrive. And the way that it does that is through visuals. So maybe mm. spend the money on creating spaces on your own. And then the other thing is I see sometimes people's websites and I think, oh, that's a great project. And then I go to the next project and I'm like, huh, that does not yeah. seem to be as good as the first one. And I wonder yeah. if we all need to be a lot more selective about what goes on our websites. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and again, it's a bane of our existence because I have a website that has projects on it that, I mean, it needs to be completely refreshed. And, and part of like my next project is, is shooting and spending the money. Like your, your point before was so, so important. You got to spend money to make money. And if, you, if you're presenting an image, it's so important to, to make sure that you're polished, as polished and professional as you can be and as you can afford Interestingly, I did a talk with, with Tiffany and, and uh, Margot Austin and Glenn Peloso at SOFA. And we, I spoke to so many new designers uh, that came up to me afterwards. And we were talking about how do you get published and what do you do? And, and interesting about the photography, because uh, one of the things that we find is we can take really great videos just with our iPad. And your iPhones can really take sharp, sharp images. And with all of the digital uh, capabilities that it has, you can you can color correct and do things. You can actually do a couple of great shots, but practice. And even if you do, um, Tiffany had made this great comment about doing flat lay. So even if you don't have a finished project, shoot a flat lay of a fabric and a tile and a wallpaper and a paint chip and blah blah blah, and then post it. Like shoot it shooting down and post it, and it it shows that you're active and you've got things happening. And even if you don't have the money to be able to do something. Um, professionally, which eventually you should budget for, but there are lots of ways that you can try and create that professional look. But again, have someone look at it and make sure that, like you say, you've got the right angle. Stylists are, like, they're, they're an entity unto themselves. They don't, they don't design like designers do. They see things as art. They see things as a picture. And that's why they're able to bring those amazing artichokes or that wonderful big branch just in a big glass vase that just sits on the table and you think, wow, why didn't I think of that? So it's just how they perceive it. So it's, but it's starting small and, and 
you know, again, we're busy, but take the time to curate your, your projects and pick the best of the best. So they don't do um, and don't present every single one that they did that one might be an A plus and the other one might be a C. So you've got to really rather quality over quantity for sure. That is so true. And I find um, sometimes we are guilty of taking on all the jobs because it feels exciting to be busy. And there's a certain vanity in saying I have 22 projects on the go, uh, when in fact that's too many for anyone. And fewer projects charge more make sure they're going to be projects that you can photograph. In fact, about three years ago, I decided I would not take projects that I didn't think I would photograph at the end, which was very harsh because, yeah. um, And it it just becomes a really great measuring stick. I go to the house, they seem lovely, but I think there's, you know, they want me to reuse half the stuff and not change this and not change that. And I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel like the final product reflects my brand. And therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm doing myself a great disservice. So it's been Mm -hmm. really hard for me to learn how to say no, because I've worked for myself since I was 14 years old. And I think I'll die if I say no. But turns out you don't (laughs) die. Um, And I've also (laughs) touched base with some other designers and said, I'm going to turn down the the following types of jobs. Do you want them? And they say, yeah, I do, because I'm new. I'll take them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good for both of you, because that way you don't lose cred factor. Um, whether, unless you say that you're busy, I mean, we always have our little fallback, but, but, uh, you know, to that client, but it's great for a client to know that you have a consortium that you can say, listen, I, here's this, you know, ABC company that I work with, she does great stuff. It's similar to my look. I think you'll be very comfortable, blah, blah, blah. And, and you're helping the industry for sure. And giving them that experience. I think it's amazing. Right. And it, it, it is a tough one. And I think that like to, 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 you know, it, it's a really interesting point that you brought up though, Kim, about you know, do you not do jobs or photograph or do, do jobs that aren't your brand when you're starting out? I think you do try initially to take on as many jobs as you can and maybe through that process, find out who your brand is or, or am able to sort of demystify um, what, what you do best and the looks that you do best in order to identify those looks. Because I don't think anyone goes into this saying, my look is French country or my look is modern or whatever, because I think you do have to be fluid and able to do many, many looks. I think that's what makes a good designer. You're so right. You're absolutely so right. And it would get boring if you only did the same thing. And I never want to underestimate that scary beginning of your career where any job is a good job. Um, But I think it's okay to become discerning as quickly as possible and to raise your fee with every job and have your confidence grow. And I found also at some point raising the fee seemed really scary, but when I did it, forced me to step up. It forced me to do better work. It forced me to be more efficient and more effective at my job. So it, it's kind of a Agreed. fine balance, right? Oh, definitely. And it's scary to up your fee. I mean, I kept my hourly rate. In fact, it should be higher, but it's my comfort level. And I think every designer has to recognize that they have to be comfortable with what they're charging. Otherwise, they backpedal when a client questions it. But the, the consult fee for me has steadily gone up because for me, um, I, I have such a broad cross-section of clients. I can be in Caledon. I can be in the East End, the West End, north of the city. And so I do a tremendous amount of traveling, which a two-hour consult, and you've got to drive an hour and a half, that really is, you know, that's, that's a you know, six-hour day. Like, you just can't, you know, your day is gone. And, and to, to charge a few hundred dollars for that is not worth it. You, can, you have to be able to charge and, and be able to say to a client, you know, I have to charge, charge you mileage and, and, you know, there is a, you're paying for my time, not just while I'm in your home. Right. And it's hard to do. And when you're starting out, you feel sheepish and think, well, they, you know, they, and even just the whole weekend evening thing, I like to see a house in the daylight and we, we work for a living. It's a nine to five job, just the way the clients are. They go to work every day, but yet, you know, you don't ask your doctor to meet you in the evening or on a Saturday because it's convenient because you don't want to take time off work. So I, I, I very, I used to do it initially years ago, but now I just say, I'm, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, my, my, my favorite line is, unfortunately, I am not available on the weekends or evenings. Yeah. And, and I just, I make it a statement when I, when I email them back, when they, when they presume that I am. No, absolutely. It's a business nine to five thirty. That's it. And it's okay to take yep. Friday offs. 
Fridays off. You don't have yes. to say to the client, I can't meet you on Friday because I'm having a pedicure. Um, you say Friday yeah, doesn't no. work for me. Let's do it Tuesday at one o'clock. Yeah. Um, and all of that yeah. stuff gets easier as you've been doing it a while. But I think it's important if you're just starting out to hear what we're saying and start earlier to adopt these better yeah. habits for sure. Um, mm. Couldn't agree more it's with not, you. It's not, being a, it's not elevating your status. It's simply just saying, this is what I charge. This is how I have to charge. And, and I think if you say it carefully and, and sincerely, uh, people will accept that. Well, with the consultation, we charge a, a two-hour consultation rate, which is $800. And then we charge $75 uh, an hour for... No, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, $75 for the... How do we do it? <laughs> Wait, it's, uh, we do charge a travel fee. It's based on how far it is outside. Oh, I know what it is. Okay. So for us, we do charge a travel fee for consultations in addition to the two-hour $800. And it has to do with your zip code or your postal code. If a client is outside of a specific uh, zip code or postal code, uh, we charge uh, for the time it's going to take to do that drive. And I think that rate is $75 an hour. And it's so, um, it's so, we've done it for so long, it's really comfortable talking about it. And you know what, it's so funny, I've had clients who have hired me to drive five hours, they don't care, they want you to come out, and that's great. And then I don't mind, I'm not resentful, I know that, you know, everything is being paid for, and and it works out just fine. Well, exactly, because yeah, then that, that time is accounted for and, and time is money. So, you know, you have to, and that's one of the things that, that it took me many, many years mm-hmm. that I, I used to say to my staff um, as I got more, more known and, and a little more established and experienced, I'd say, no one will value your time unless you do. So it's important to be able to bill for that. So true. And, you know, people, they, you know, you'll earn the clients that aren't interested in spending the money. They disappear. Exactly. Yeah, they sort themselves out. The boss gets to make the rules, so make better rules. So here you are, some 20 years down the road, you're rebranding. You get an opportunity, Jackie, to make better rules. What are the better rules? Mm. You mentioned one already. You don't work evenings and weekends. That's an old rule that you threw out, and now you have a new rule. You work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5.30. What are some other new rules that you have? Well, um, really just being, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, like being really consistent with, with keeping paperwork up to date, that's such a hard one. It was always hard in the office when I had like full staff, uh, you know, just making sure that, that everything is accountable time and that it's reasonable. That a client's not ever going to question your bill uh, because that's death when, when a client says, why am I being billed for when it should really be clearly outlined? The contract should also have an expiration date. Honestly, I have had clients that we've had retainers of $100, and they come back six years later and will say, um, I think I have time left on my retainer. And you're thinking, who are you and are you kidding me, right? So we have a year. If a client doesn't use up the balance of their retainer within a year, that money's not refunded to them. So tying your, your, your project up with a big bow is, is, you know, the contract up is, is really, really important to do. And, and that's a lesson that, that was bitter for us when I was in partnership and we would find these clients coming out of the woodwork and you'd, you'd kind of roll your eyes. You didn't even remember who they were and yet they were nickel and diming a few hundred dollars. So, so things like that, really important. Okay. What about your, what's your policy on texting and emailing? Do you have rules around those things? I mean, if my staff is doing it, no. Um, for example, in my office, our policy is we return emails within 24 hours. We don't oh, always have an answer, um, but we at least acknowledge receipt of the question and we'll say either we give the client the answer or we say we won't know that information until next Thursday at 4 p.m. Right. I'll, I'll, my expectation with my staff now is by week's end, you tie everybody up. Like if you have a client by Friday afternoon, or if we're just working, you know, if the girls, I don't work Fridays either, by the way. And, uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful discipline. It's hard to do at first, but now it's, it's something that I, I really enjoy and feel that I deserve. But my staff in the office, I figure they should be tying up all clients. So if they don't have an answer by Friday, they at least will say, I wasn't able to get your answer. Um, I'll be touching base Tuesday, Monday, whatever it is, and give them a timeline. So I like by the end of the week for clients to at least be acknowledged. Okay, yeah, we're we do. out of the office a lot, as most designers are. 
So they have to be able to. So yes, a quick email. Um, but it's funny, the whole email texting, I, I, I find that um, I'm old school. And I often, because I do a lot more driving, because I now live in the Niagara area, I'm driving from my office. So I've got a bit more time in the car. Um, I, I tend to, when I get an email request for a consult, I will phone, if there is a phone number attached, I will call them on my way home. I got a tremendous amount of work done on my way home. And people love the fact that I'm on the phone with them. Um, if they don't leave a phone number, I will email them back and say, you can reach me at, and I'm available, you know, at three o'clock today, if you want to call me and let's discuss your project. So I've always said to the girls, my staff tend to be really quick in using email and texting. Um, they even screen save invoices, which I do not allow. It causes an enormous amount of, of challenges. I need paper and, uh, and I need proper invoicing done. And I had a real issue with a couple of designers that were doing that, that just caused the project to get embroiled. And, and the, the amount of time spent to, to do the paperwork just was hours of wasted time in my, in my eyes. So, um, but the, the, uh, a quick text to let a client know that something's happening is fine, but generally I prefer them to be in touch. At some point I'll say, just call them. You've been emailing them and they haven't responded. Call <laughs> them. They will usually get your answer or let them know that the, the pictures are ready. Don't keep waiting for these emails. It kind of makes me crazy. But that's my old school uh, philosophy that just kind of kicks in when, when I don't get any answers and the girls don't have an answer for me about a client. Hey, kids, I think this is a really valuable lesson because I've had the same conversations with staff. Um, when you need an immediate yeah. answer, pick up the phone. When you have bad news, pick up the phone. I don't give bad news right off the yeah. bat in an email. Hey, sorry, your whole project has gone to hell in a handbasket. Have a great weekend. You got it. I pick up the phone. You I let it. them know the sky is not fa falling. They hear my voice. They hear the tone of my voice. They understand that I understand how important this is and I'm going to get on it. And I'm even more old-fashioned than you, Jack. I do not allow texting between clients. I tell my clients texts are for my, my kids uh, and to mm -hmm. meet my girlfriend where you parked. I'm in the parking lot. I'm underneath a big, you know, sign that says, you know, yeah. stand here now. And I use that for yeah. immediacy, <laughs> not for business. So it's, again, it goes yeah. back to make rules that you feel comfortable with, but then enforce them. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting on that texting note, what's been happening with me is because I'm in the car, I'm traveling a lot and I'm trying to work more from home, clients will text me and we've got, I've gotten into this habit. However, what has happened and I've now learned, and it's only been over the last few months uh, and because I've been renovating too. So I'm texting people when it's convenient for me, but what it does is it sets up a precedent that the client can text me back on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock. Right. So sometimes I, I, so I've gotten myself even after all these years into a little bit of a, a problem where um, when that ding comes and I'm having dinner, I immediately want to check it because I know Susie Brown wants something from, you know, whatever. And uh, suddenly I'm working on a Saturday. And so now I'm trying to be disciplined. And so it's, it's less with my staff. Because I'm the one that will say, here's her number. You can text her if necessary, which is very infrequent. But the problem actually lays more with myself in defining the rules and saying, okay, I will get back to her. I will respond to her Monday morning. Right. Even if it's 7 o'clock in the morning, because I know I want to tell her yes, I literally will hold back and say, turn it off, unplug, it's the weekend. Yes. And I, you know, I'm always the worst offender of rule breaking in my office. And I really have to work hard at discipline uh, because I will catch up on Saturday and Sunday sometimes with work. And people say, oh, you're so full of it. You're supposed to be working Monday to Friday, yeah. 9 to 5.30. Well, I might take Tuesday yeah. and Wednesday off to go with a girlfriend, right. to, you know, and play hooky for two days. So if I choose yep. to work on a Saturday, that's fine. What I'll do is I'll create all my emails and put them in my draft folder. And Monday morning at 10 a.m., I'll send them. So, you know, yep. it Works. really is up to me to be disciplined and follow the rules that I know are good for me. And you mentioned the consultation call. You take, you take that intake call yourself. I would love to know if you have improved your sales technique over the year. Do you have any kind of tips you can share with people on how to get that potential customer to become an actual customer? 
Yeah, and it's, 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 that's a, it's a tough one, but yes, have I improved it? Most definitely, because now I'm in a situation where my business partner's retired. I'm full on. I've always been the frontline person for the company, but now I'm the one going to consult. I, I have a presence now, more so than ever at the consultation. Um, and, and I've scaled down my staff. I've, I've, I really just, just want it to be a very clean, efficient machine, and I want to be at the helm of it. So I'm definitely picking and choosing the projects. So for me... It's a little, I try and fast track the process. So if it's a renovation, I bring in my people, the people that can price the job sooner than later. I don't, you know, farf around and say, oh, he'll be in touch with you. And I like to be there when he's there. And if, if it's an evening and I can't be there, I certainly get a full report from my people um, the next day as to how it went and when they're going to get the numbers over to me so that I can present to the client. So um, I also try and uh, when I'm talking to the client, I, I tend to say on more than one occasion how important it is for me to work with my own team, knowing full well that they're going to get more than one quote. And they might like, you know, the, the, the contractor that their brother-in-law used. But I will also say, if that is the case, I'll always say to them, I have more clout with my, my people. They know me. And they not only want to please you, but they want to please me because they want my next job. So I said, they're the ones that are going to work faster, harder. However, if there's a really great price differential between the brother-in-law's guy and my guy, I'd love to get the price and let's see whether we can at least have first right of refusal, if we can match that price. I said, you know, because it's teamwork. So I tend to have honed that so that a client knows how important it is to work with me and my team, which from a a financial perspective means obviously I'm going to make money, right? Because I'm getting points on the job. Right. And a lot of the designers now are being coached by associations and insurance companies, et cetera, not to do any of that because it mm. increases their liability. And I feel very strongly that your liability is increased the minute you step foot on a job site, whether or not those trades are yours. You can just as easily exactly. be sued and have liability in a situation where you have no control over the trades. So I would much rather have my guys who have my back with me on a job site. Exactly. And I think most clients think there's value in that. So that's another that's a good rule too. <laughs> You know, develop your A-team and figure out how to talk the client into using your A-team for their benefit and your benefit. Most definitely. And and let me tell you, finding that A-team, it's hard work. And that I think I've had so many epic fails on the A-team. I thought was the A-team that turned out to be the D-minus team. And I've had to scramble to to save my name because it's definitely attached to the project, regardless of of if they're paying him directly or however you've decided the contract's going to work itself out. But it really, um, it's, it's a scary, the whole world of, of renovations is a scary one for sure. And one that, you know, you have to really know what you're doing, have all your ducks in a row uh, and be a, being able to problem solve because it's, it's the world fraught with, with problems that you will be solving on a day and night basis until the job's done. Gosh, it's so true. And I try to be really honest with my clients and I'll say, you know, I've had the same painter and floor refinisher and drapery person since 1991. So whatever they say, you can take it to the bank. But my wallpaper installer Mm -hmm. is brand new. Uh, It's only the second time I've worked with him and I'm not 100% sure he's as responsible as my old guy who retired. So I'm going to give you a heads up that I have a little concern about the wallpaper guy. He's going to be my problem. I'm going to manage him, but I just want to share that with you. And then what I found is clients will say, oh my God, you know, the wallpaper guy, here's what happened when you weren't there. Oh, thank you. That's really good information. Suddenly they're not mad at me, but they're actually working with me to try to see if this guy's on my A team or not on my A team. Right. But but it's a process. It is a process. And I tell... um, if you have one person on your A-team, ask them about other trades. That has been so mm-hmm. helpful to me because you can have an amazing person and they retire. Or I've had it even a couple of times, Jackie, you mentioned the D-minus team. I've had it a couple of times where they were the A-team and then they got really super big and famous and, and amazing and all that. And then they become the C-minus mm-hmm. team. And right. that's such a shock when that happens. Like, Wow, when I hired you, you didn't have any work. You know, we've worked together mm-hmm. a decade. I've given you so much work, and now you're giving me attitude. 
crazy. How did that happen? Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, I know it's happened to me more than one occasion. I always call it, it's greed. They get jobs, they get bigger. They start thinking, Hey, I can, if I've got one designer in my pocket, I'll get another designer. And before you know it, the work gets diluted. And, and funnily enough, I don't know why, but suddenly you're at the bottom of the list in terms of the priorities when you were the one that they were bending over backwards to fix or to help in the first place. So it, and then you're, then immediately you start looking for a new team and that's what you have to do. And you have to realize that that team, if you're lucky to have them for a couple of years, it's not going to last. You've got to keep moving. You always have to have someone else. Always keep your eyes open for other, other companies, meet with them. A lot of them approach me and say, Hey, I'd love to do some work with you. Meet with them, see their work. Start to put people in the background so that you know when it does fall apart, you've got somebody to go to. Such a good point. Um, the one thing is it is fluid. It, it's never going to be fixed in place forever and ever. So uh, right. you definitely want to be fostering those relationships. And make sure you're not hard on your trades too. I, I meet designers who speak horribly to their trades. And I'm like, it's a wonder anybody mm-hmm. shows up for your jobs the way you behave. <laughs> so uh, it, it You def- want to be like. Yeah, you do. Like, I always used to say, if, if people like work for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. I said, if, I've always believed that, sorry, Kim, I interrupted you, but if people um, like you, they, wanna, they will want to work for you. And that, that's staff, and it's also for trades. Jackie, what can you tell us about costing jobs? When I first started, I would pass on all my trade discounts. That's a disaster. Then I would mark it up 5%, and that really is not a good business model. Now I have a very clear rule when it comes to marking up projects so I can be competitive and profitable. What are your kind of fail-safe rules around costing jobs? Well, um, I, I think that like you, it, it's, um, I, I don't give out my discounts to clients. In fact, I, um, I, I really just want to throw my head back and cry when a client asks me whether or not they can get my designer discount. I, I can't tell you how, um, I always think, why do clients resent my right to earn a living? But anyways, it happens and, I, and it, it's the nature of the beast. However, when I'm costing jobs, I generally look at every job and, and I look at the reasonableness of being able to sell that job if I added this or if I added that. So I'll often sit down with one of my staff and we'll go through the number and we'll look at, like it, I'm talking whether it's a renovation or whether it's just a sofa. And if I look at the client, I've been able to do a custom sofa with them. Um, I'll look at it and, and I, I have my typical markup that, that I've been using for years. But if this client, I assess every client and go, hmm. Will I be able to sell it if I only make, you know, a 10% markup or 15 or whatever? And I literally will do three scenarios. And then between myself and Ramona, we'll kind of look and go, I think we'll go for this one. In fact, sometimes Ramona will say, I can sell it if we go with that. And I'll go, go, go sell it, girl. And away she goes and we get it. So it can be 10%. Typically, 10% is where I start. And, uh, and depending on what it is I'm selling. And, uh, and you can go all the way up to a double markup, depending on what it is. You do believe in transparency because I know you've talked about it before. So then how I used to do it like that. And then I found I would be really thrown what a client would say, how much markup do you have in this item? So I had to come up with rules that were, that were firm and transparent because I didn't have an answer to that question. So how do you deal with that client who says, what markup do you have in this? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's a hard question because, yeah, you want to be honest with them. But um, if, if there are discounts and they're really ferreting for the discount, I'll usually split it. Like, but I, they never know. I'll just say, I get a small discount here. I can give you 10 if I get 20. But I, I actually never disclose what my, um, what my fees are, and I will bury them into other items. So I, I never really need to discuss it with them. In fact, I'll be quite honest, it really rarely comes up. It's usually a purchase of a a couch or a coffee table or something where in a retail level where a client will ask me that. And then I will usually, if they ask, I will give them some sort of, of discount usually. And that usually makes them quite happy, but I, I tend to just bury it and not, not even get into it. 
Oh, wow. So this happened to me years ago and maybe something similar to you. I was working on a project with a huge house, like three floors, one of those mega mansions. And they had been working with another designer. Things went wrong. I got hired. Things were going great. Suddenly I got a letter from a lawyer on behalf of the client asking to see all my original invoices. And I mean, we're talking about thousands of pieces of paper. Um, the situation turned out to be just fine. A, because I'm completely transparent and I have a very clear rule for marking things up and sharing discounts. And we followed that. But had I gotten that letter two or three years earlier, I think I would have had a stroke because I wasn't as clear on how I did all that. So for me, it became coming up with a rule that I could live with was a function of wanting to sleep at night. (laughs) Right, right. No, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, to, to get something like that, yes, you, you would have a heart attack for sure. Uh, and, and certainly it, it paved the way for you defining your rules probably sooner than, than most young designers, even myself. But for me, I tend, my transparency is I charge an hourly rate. Clients buy blocks of time. So within that time, um, the, if they're buying other items, then it's usually a commission base. Or if I'm getting points on a job or something, they will know that it's part of my fee. And I'm even burying my retainers that they know they're paying for my time, but I actually work it right in. So it's all part of the full project cost. So it's a little bit blurry unless we're doing couches and chairs. And then I will, um, then I will, then they're usually on retainer. So they're they're I, I don't double dip per se, which I think is, is, can happen with, if you're adding margins on, on pieces. But I will usually, because I, I usually charge it's just under 165 an hour, and they'll buy 8 to 10 hours. Of course, I'm paying staff through that at administration and overhead, but that usually will cover off profits on, on small you know, sale ticket items if it's just like a little decorating project, and that's usually sufficient. And then I'm quite happy to give clients, particularly good clients and clients you like, I'm happy to make them feel warm and fuzzy when I give them 15% off of something that, and just, but I, it really is a case by case process for me. It really is. And, and depending on the size of the job. So you have been, you have been happy overall with the changes that you've made and where you've come in really a relatively short time in terms of rebranding and building your business up again, another layer. Mm. How do you keep a balance? Do you, do you take care of your me time? Is there me time? There's been, there hasn't been any me time for a year and a half. It's starting to come now though, but that's because I've been working with clients. I've been moved my office, you know, closing down one company, starting another and having new staff, figuring out who's going to work, who's not going to work. And for a while, about a year ago, I was having a revolving door. I really felt quite defeated by the whole process of getting good staff, being able to depend on them, um, being able to take on jobs, being able to pay all these people. Because with a, I'm, I'm a team player, so when my business partner wasn't there, who, you know, Christine managed a lot of that, I found I had to find a simpler way to manage my day-to-day workload. And so it started with, I was trying to take Fridays and that was my first step where I didn't have to get into the car and drive to my office. I thought I would go out of my mind. Although there were some days when the renovation and the trucks were pulling in that I was actually happy to be leaving. But when, when, as we were starting to get into the finish schedule, I knew I had to spend time uh, at the house. And so it's been a real whirlwind and we're now at the stage of photography and I'm doing all of the, as I said, the, the finishes, it's the artwork and the accessory items. So photography, the real branding, the real um, presentation of the new look is, is imminent. So my life now is starting to become more balanced because my whole life work balance was completely askew. And, and I was definitely feeling the strain of it. So I, I am very much happier because I have a smaller team, but they know what they're doing and it's working. And originally I ended up losing a couple of staff around Christmas time and keeping on one who I thought I was going to lose because I, I felt she was a little panicked that maybe, you know, she wasn't capable of, of, of handling my workload, but it, it happened really nicely where she just loves it. She's, she's happy to work when I'm in the office. She's happy to work when I'm not, she has flexible hours and it works out really well. And, and I tend to now hire people, designers that I know, if I have a project where I need some drawings done or I need something done and I don't have the time, I can just use them and just pay them an hourly rate. So that's working out really well. And I'm, I'm more uh, in tune with 
keeping on top of the paperwork where I used to always rely on someone to do the retainer updates and things. So I've streamlined my business so that it works for me. And that streamlining has allowed me to take on bigger jobs with a stronger team and network behind me where I can, and I enjoy, I will always be passionate about design and excited about the type of, you know, cupboards and the colors and the style and the floor choices. I love that part of any project. So, and also the finishes in terms of showing it and styling it. So for me, um, my projects, um, I'm now, because I have a smaller team, I don't feel quite the pressure to take on every single job that comes through the door. I can now curate and select what I want and who I want to work with and, and whether it's something I can do. And, and that means making a little more time for me and enjoying the beautiful home that I've built with my husband. It's, it's a great area. There's wineries and lots and lots to do. We've made lots of friends. So I, I really wanted to have a wonderful summer enjoying that. I suspect we can all relate to you saying that you love the design aspects. You love the picking the flooring and the cabinetry and the colors and the tile and all of that. I'm sure we can all relate to that. But in fact, it's the changes that you've made to your business that allow those things to be enjoyable because none of that's enjoyable if you're constantly putting out fires, right? So it sounds like you've done a really good job of figuring it out for yourself. And it's, it's been a road for sure, because it's what do I want to do? Where do I want to be in five years? How long do I want to, you know, bring this forward? And, and, and I, and I, I don't think anyone should retire by the way. I think that uh, I, I will continually always love design and, and I'm already picking up so many clients here just because of the friends I've made. They go, oh, Jackie Glass has come to the Niagara area. My goodness. And, and so it's, it's been fun and there's, there's very different projects. Like Niagara on the Lake is a very different community to a, a Toronto home. So it, it's been really exciting to be able to pick and choose some of those projects and, and then, and then confidently bill for those jobs and, and be able to have some money in your jeans. I mean, that's really what it's all about. That's why we're in business and do good, solid design work that people love. You said it, you said it. Uh, there's so much that we can learn from you. And I want to end with a few items, if you don't mind, right off the top of your head, give us a few things that you just absolutely love about your contract. Well, my contract um, is really great in that one of the things I added was an expiry date to the retainer portion. Because when we finish a job, and make no mistake, I'm talking when you know that there's still work to do, but a client disappears. And there are times when there can be months that go by where you know that you've got to go back and finish something. But when years go by and there's a couple of hundred dollars kind of filthing around, and the clients, for whatever reason, don't get in touch with you or they're, you know, we always follow up. But if they say, oh, no, you know, we're going to go to Europe for a year or six months or two months or whatever, we'll touch base and they don't, you know, you're busy, you kind of forget. But you have to have an expiry on that because five, I've had clients five, six years later contact me and you don't even remember who they are. And I have to be honest, you feel almost a little resentful that they're calling you now and want you just to drop in right away, drop everything and come and see them and service them on a project that's been kind of languishing for years and which and probably in need of a refresh. So I usually now have a year expiry. So if you don't use your retainer within a year, it's not refundable. Um, uh, but from a PR perspective, I'm happy to talk to them, um, but I'm not refunding you your money. That money is not coming back out of the company. It's done. It's over. It's, it's been used up. So that's where I love that. Uh, other things, I like to clearly define my scope of work, what we give you what it costs, my mileage fees, what I do when it's a renovation, what I provide, what services I provide when it is a strictly decor project, what they can expect, the time allotment and all of that. Really dot all your I's, cross your T's so that no one's confused when they get a bill that has exceeded the amount of money that they've, that they've paid for that needs to be topped up that may, because one of my girls has been working and put in a couple of extra hours you know, they understand that that's the process and that it's accountable. Good stuff. I bet a lot of people are sitting there thinking, I think it might be time to update my contract. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And we, and listen, Kim, I'm sure you've done that over time too. Contracts will always be renewed because a situation will come up with a client and you'll go, I don't have that in my contract. I need to do that. Yes. So, yes. And you will add, don't pot. So it's it's not always cut and dry. It will all it should always be a living contract that will change as you adapt, grow, and get experience. 
Yeah, there was one point where my contract seemed like that house that people have added wings to with no thought to the cohesive whole. But every time a bad situation would occur with a client, I'm like, I'm adding this to my contract. So it kind of took yeah. a little time for me to reorganize it and get it looking professional again after all these, you know, addendums that were hanging off the back of it at one point. It's so true. Right. What I've learned right. from you today is nothing's fluid. You've got to stay in the game. I'm sorry. What I've learned from you today is nothing is static. It's fluid. You've got to stay in the game. You've got to constantly be fine-tuning your process. And um, thank you for being so generous and sharing so candidly. I think that our industry really benefits from people like you talking about what you do every day. So thank you, Jackie, so much for being here. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And, and anytime, I, I love to help. And I think that I'm excited for all the new designers that are coming up through the pipes. And I wish them well. I know that they'll be wildly successful. And, and if they've learned anything from what we've learned, um, they come out of it strong and providing wonderful service to people. So true. Love it. Thank you so much, Jackie. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Take care. A Business of Design? We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, plus access to Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.